All right, so we are continuing. Hopefully, this will be the uh, the end of our uh, set on this uh, this topic of Hamunah Bitachon from the uh, from the Slonimer, from the Nesiva Shalom. Uh, and when we left off, he was talking about the uh, the power of uh, of not only Bitachon, which he says is the um, belief in the uh, unconditional love which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for the Jewish people collectively as well as each individual Jew and we began to see this issue of this balance of Hishtavlis, uh, the balance between making an effort in order for to get things done together with the, uh, the uh, allowance let's say or perhaps even the obligation to have bitachon, to have trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he's going to take care of everything and as we mentioned, so many questions and many of the big questions that we have in life, so they ultimately, if you distill them down to what the essential question is, uh, filtering out all of the details and all of the, uh, the, whatever, the whatever was going on, but if you get down to the essential question, the essential question is really a question of bitachon versus ishtavus. How much effort do I need to invest? And how much could I trust that whatever Kodesh Baruch Hu wants to happen is going to happen uh, anyways? I just happened to speak to a, a former student last night at uh, TI. And she was wondering about, uh, she would very much like to stay in Chicago. She, she happens to be from Las Vegas, Ralph. But she's very, uh, she would like to, uh, to, to, uh, to stay in Chicago to go to nursing school here. But she's wondering whether or not she has some sort of obligation because of Ishtalus to move to the East Coast for Shaduchan. So she wanted to know, you know, what, uh, how, uh, you know, how does she go about making such a decision? So I said, oh, you should show up on Tuesday nights <laughs> because on Tuesday nights, we're discussing this exact issue of trying to strike that, uh, that balance. And I, uh, you know, the, I, I broke it down for her, uh, as you would expect. I said, listen, uh, if you stay in Chicago and you're in touch with, uh, with uh, Shadchanim, both Shadchanim local in Chicago and Shadchanim on the East Coast, is that reasonable effort for you? Do you consider that to be reasonable effort to find a shidduch? She said, yeah, because there are many girls from Chicago who get married. <laughs> so if girls from Chicago get married, somehow somebody's setting them up some way, somehow. So I said, okay, if that's considered to be reasonable effort and you're putting in your, uh, your hishtavlis, so who says you have to do extra hishtavlis and move to the East Coast or something like that? You can go ahead and you could stay here and take advantage of all of the other wonderful things which, uh, which are available to you in Chicago. And you don't need to make the trip to the East Coast because you're putting in enough effort. And who says that putting in more effort is going to, uh, is going to make things uh, any better? I don't remember whether we gave this as an example, but it's a, it's a wonderful example, which I heard, I think, last year, Hanukkah time. But it's something which is, a, which is a, an important illustration of this idea of making sure that you do some effort but it doesn't have to be this Herculean effort. And that is that the, one of the lessons of the dreidel, if there's such a thing as a lesson from a dreidel, so a lesson which you can take from the dreidel is, obviously when you're playing dreidel for, for money, for candy, for almonds or whatever you're, paying, you're playing dreidel for, obviously what you want to do is you want to get a gimel. Right? If you get a gimel, so then you win whatever the pot is. So ask yourself a question. Does it make, does it make a difference how strongly you spin the dreidel? Like if you spin it really hard or you spin it softly or you spin it medium, either way, once you spin it, it's going to land on whoever Kosh Baruch wants it to land. So spinning it harder doesn't make it any more gimel, doesn't put, set you up to get any more gimel. 
So in the same way, our obligation, so you just make Ishtabdus. Our obligation is to put an effort to get it done, to show that we've done our part. And then HaKadosh Baruch is going to take care of everything. And if he wants us to land on a gimel in our lives, so we're going to land on gimels. If he wants us to land on a hay, we'll get a hay, or shin, or, or nun, whatever it is going to be. But trying harder doesn't make it, doesn't necessarily set you up for a, a better outcome. Okay, so that's where we left off. And we had talked about, if you remember, the last thing that we talked about was the student of the Alshuk, the students of the Alshuk versus the Balagala. That the students of the, the, the Alshuk gave this drasha, this fiery drasha, I imagine, where he said that if somebody is a true maimin, true believer in Hashem, and has great bitachon, so you don't even have to go to work. You can just sit there and you can rely on the fact that Kirsch Barker is going to take care of everything. And this one Baal Agala, this one Uber driver said, great, I'm selling my car. I'm going to sit in the base of from now on. I'm going to say to him and I'm going to daven and that's how I'm going to spend up my life. And behold, HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranged that the wagon which he sold or the horse which he sold came wandering back into town right at the exact moment, dragging some chest filled with a treasure in it. And he was able to then take care of himself and his family for the rest of his life. And al Sheikh students were, were astonished by this. They said, how could it be that here we are, your dedicated students, we learn 23 hours a day, every day of the year, and we still have to go ahead and do our jobs in order to be able to earn a living. And this Balagala, who doesn't even know how to learn, all he knows how to do is say to Hillam in, uh, in Davin from the Siddur, and he is able to uh, to merit this great uh, uh, blessing from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides him with everything. And al Sheikh said, it's because you guys overthink things. You take uh, emuna and bitachon from an intellectual perspective, and when you start analyzing whether it goes this way or whether it goes that way, and you start getting into all the lumbus and all of that, so you overthink it, and that's why you're not able to uh, you're not able to invoke this great power of bitachon, as opposed to the balagala, as opposed to this wagon driver. He is quite simple and quite uh, you know ignorant, and it's uh, the beauty is he doesn't overthink things. And if the rabbi says, listen, just have bitachon, HaKadosh Baruch is going to take care of the rest. So he says, okay, the rabbi said, have bitachon, and HaKadosh Baruch will take care of the rest. And he was good with that. And he, he didn't need to think any more than that. He immediately just followed through on that, uh, that guidance. And that was, uh, that was the end for him. Okay, so now where we pick it up, where we now resume here in the sonar. So we start on the very last line on this, uh, on this page. So he says, api devarim divarenu tzarech lefarish. So he says, based on what we're saying, that bitachon and uh, hishtalus is a sliding scale. And the more bitachon you have, so the more you could trust that Kishbrok is going to take care of everything. So we need to explain, So we know that Yaakov was afraid when he was meeting up with Esav and whatnot, that maybe a sin which he had committed was going to come back to haunt him, and he would not uh, receive special divine protection. And he says that now, uh, obviously, we can't assume that, that Yaakovinu didn't have bitachon, that Kosh Baruch was going to take care of everything, because certainly if there was a bal bitachon, if there was somebody who possessed trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and understood the the uh, unconditional love which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for everybody, clearly Yaakov would be such a person. So what was Yaakov's fear? So he explains, HaPachad Shalohaya, his fear was, Shema Yigrom HaChet Velo Yizke Lahargish Es Golda Avaso V'Kirvaso Elah. 
his, his fear wasn't that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to go ahead and abandon him and no longer stand by his side. Yaakov Avinu's fear was that his sin would create a blockage within himself so that he couldn't feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love. And then that would that would be the breakdown of his bitachon. Again, it's not an intellectual thing. It's that sin creates this distance, creates this wedge between the sinner and God. And as a result of that, he may feel himself to be separated from uh, from God altogether. And then if that were to happen, the Oz lo And then being that Yaakov would feel distant. So then he would not be able to use the power of bitachon to draw salvation onto himself. And he says that was his, uh, that was a uh, Yaakov Avinu's fear, not that Hashem would abandon him, but that he wouldn't be able to feel that uh, worthy and deserving of Hashem's love. And because of that wedge, because of that distance, which was created, and then he would not be able to tap into the great power of bitachon. And now the slow number goes out and explains another similar story. It's an amazing story that the Gemara recounts, but the way he explains it is beautiful. He says, And he says, this is similar to what we find in Chazal. So if you remember the story, and I don't, I only know it from the Gemara, but Chizkiyahu HaMelech was sick. He was on his deathbed. And Yeshaya Hanavi, the uh, resident uh, prophet in the palace, so he came to do the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim. And now what do you want when the, uh, a great Navi comes to visit you when you are uh, sick in bed? So you like him to say, it's all going to be okay. HaKash Baruch Hu runs the world. You'll get better. Everything is going to be good. Don't worry about it. But rather than say that, what does Yeshaya Hanavi say to Chizkiah Melech? Amr Lo, he says, Mesata Velotichia. You're going to die and you won't live. I don't think Hallmark uh, makes those cards anymore. So, what that means is you're going to die in this world, and you're not going to live in the world to come. Now, here you are, here is a person on their deathbed, and that's what the greatest Navi of the generation is saying that you're going to die soon and you're not even going to get a portion in the world to come. Meaning, in other words, if a Navi is already getting this message, that means it's been decreed in heaven that this is what's going to happen, and it's a done deal. Put a fork in it, and it's uh, it's over. There's no way to go ahead and change it. So now, it's amazing that the Navi would say that to somebody. But now, get a hold of what Chizkiel responded to Yeshaya Navi. When Chizkiel says to him, Ben Amotz, Kala he says, you know what, Yeshaya, take your nevuah and get out of here. I don't want to hear any of your nevuah. Don't tell me nevuah, shemuah. I don't want any of that stuff. Why? Because Because I have a tradition. There's a tradition in our family, the family of David Amelach, the descendants of David Amelach, that the famous idea, even if there's a sharp sword, which is resting on a person's neck, you should never despair from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy. So Chizkiah Melch says to Yeshaya, he says, I don't care about your nevuah. Your nevuah is, is wonderful, but your nevuah is not set in stone. And as long as I'm still alive, I can still go ahead and invoke uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy. And therefore, get out of here. I don't, I don't want to listen to you. you I don't want your, uh, your prophet of doom. And I'm not listening. La, 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 get out. 
That's what uh, Chizkiyahu Melech says to him. in other words, he says that from the perspective of what's happening in the in the world, and as far as the extent to which Nevoah will allow you to tap into what's actually going on in this world. So it was true, Yeshayahu Navi was absolutely correct. From his perspective, as far as he was able to see with his power of Nevoah, the Gzeira, the decree has already been issued and it cannot be overturned, it cannot be changed, it's done. But in, in Chizkiyahu HaMelech recognizes that from the perspective of Nevoah, Yeshayi HaNavi was 100% correct. But what Yeshayi HaNavi did not know, apparently, and what Chizkiyahu uh, HaMelech did know from the tradition of his family is of Abba. I still have a, tradi- a family tradition. Which is a level of conduct which Akash Baruch Hu has with people in this world, which rises above everything else which exists. So even if Nevoah will get you to 99% certainty, it's not 100%. And therefore, since there's always one level higher, goes to 11. So since there's always going to be able to go one level higher, so therefore you don't see everything, Yeshai Hanavi, and I'm going to tap into that remaining 1%. And that's what allows me to maintain hope that everything is going to be okay. In other words, that as a result of the power of one's belief and trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, in the heavenly mercy, so there is nothing which is going to be able to stand in the way. No judgment, no decree whatsoever is going to be able to stand in the way and impede HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy from descending downward to the person who needs it. Umisham, and it's that power, the, the awesome power of Emuna and Bitachon, Yeshua, it's from there that a person is going to be able to draw towards them HaKadosh Baruch Hu's salvation. And this is what Chizkiyahu HaNavi went ahead and taught, sorry, keep doing that. This is what Chizkiyahu HaMelech went ahead and taught Yeshaya HaNavi, that as far as your nevuah can take you in terms of certainty of what's going to happen and what the decree actually is in heaven, there's always a back door. There's always a way to get around that. There's a way to circumvent the system. And the way you circumvent the system is emun and bitachon. And if a person has this unbelievable bitachon that you could actually say, the chutzpah that Chizkiyahu HaMelech had to say to Yishai HaNavi, take your nevuah and get out of here. I'm not listening to your nevuah. I don't care what your nevuah says. It's not 100% accurate. So that, that type of chutzpah, that type of confidence in bitachon, that ultimately is what allowed Chizkiyahu HaMelech to be able to live on. He was able to live further and live a number of years afterwards based on that. Uh, on that. And then it, the, uh, the, uh, the Sloaner now goes on to say that he says that um, yeah, okay. So now he says what the Sloaner goes on to, the, to discuss is how a person who is a Babi Tachon, a person who has very strong trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so they are going to, uh, to, uh, to see that, and they have confidence, so it's not only something which is 
um, moving forward. That I have bitachon that Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to take care of things as we move forward, like Chizkiyahu Hanavi did, where even though he was deathly ill and he was about to die medically, he was about to die, and Yeshaya Hanavi said he's going, he's about to die, and he was able to go ahead and overcome it. But despite, but on top of that, part of bitachon is the the confidence that whatever events are going to occur over the course of your life, day in and day out, week in, week out, whatever those things are, that all that also is part of some master plan from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that also is something which is an essential part of the uh, 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 of the equation. And he says, he quotes, let me quote one thing over here, a very powerful, I think a very powerful idea. So he was talking about some of the earlier, uh, in the, the line of Slonim, some of the earlier Rebbe's, so he said that Vuhuzal, uh, this is who we refer to as Morash. I don't know who that is exactly, but he says, Huzal Amar. So he went ahead and he said, When a Jew feels that they are subject to judgment, meaning bad things are happening, there's a bad, uh, you know, uh, uh, energy which is coming in, uh, in in your direction, and you want to go ahead and change that uh, judgment, or you want to change those circumstances. So Yevarech Oz So what do you do? What's uh, everybody's looking for a school of how to make things better? So this uh, one of the earlier Slonim Rebbe said that the best school of all, the best way to position yourself is say the brach of Shahakol with Kavana. Because what does the brach of shahako mean? Shahakol niyebidvaro. Everything comes from God's word. So it's a, it's a statement of belief. It's an unbelievable statement of, a, of allegiance. It's a pledge of allegiance and a, in, in a, a, a declaration of recognition that everything is coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And therefore, whatever happens is certainly going to be for the best because HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us unconditionally. And I could go ahead and I can move forward with confidence that this is going to be something which is going to be good. I may not understand the good. I may not appreciate the good. But the way that one responds when facing difficult, challenging circumstances is to say the brach of Shahako with great kavanah. And he says, when you say it, don't just rush through the bracha, saying the words as quickly as you can get them out of your mouth, but rather, but you should strengthen your belief and your trust, that everything which is happening in this world, and at the time that you're making this bracha, all of the events and all of the, uh, the things which are happening to you at this moment, all of that is bidvaro, is God's words. It's a manifestation of God's words and what God wants. And then, once you go ahead and you strengthen yourself in that regard, and you remind yourself of this principle, so this has a means, this has this power to the language which the Kabbalists and the, uh, in the, in the Hasidim use, and the Rebbe's use, is it's going to sweeten all of the judgments. Mitika is something which is sweet. Matok is uh, is uh, something which is sweet. So you're going to go ahead and you're going to sweeten all of that. The Yamshik Yeshua, and then you have the ability to go ahead and draw down towards yourself a positive energy, which is going to be your salvation. So the best gula to get yourself out of trouble is to go ahead and to say the brach of Shahako with great uh, with great kavana. Okay, and then he says. 
that now he reminds us that one of the the uh, the uh, characters in in Shas, one of the uh, the great uh, Tanoim in Shas, who personified this uh, uh, all encompassing belief and trust in Akharish Baruch Hu was Rebbe Kiva. Rebbe Kiva, who was a student of Nachum Ish Gamzu. So Nachum Ish Gamzu, he was known by the name where the Gamzu, where you say Gamzu Latova, that whatever happens is for the best. So Rebbe Kiva was a, uh, a dedicated student of that philosophy, of that approach. In Rebbe Kiva also, there is a famous story, which he's about to, uh, to recount, where we see how Rebbe Kiva also lived his life based on this perspective. So he says, So what is the extent of belief and trust in Hashem? And that is, It's the declaration which Chazal say in Aramaic, everything which the, uh, the merciful one does is for good. Letav means letov, it's going to be for good. And by making that declaration and having that deep-seated belief that everything is for the best and the trust that Kosh Baruch Hu would not do anything which would be uh, which would not be good, so that's how you draw towards you that energy of kindness and mercy. In this, he says, "Efshar Lilmot Chazal," and we can learn this out from Chazal's story. And this is the now in the Gemara and Brachos where he says. Hopefully it's a famous story. So Bikiva was traveling once. And he had with him a donkey, a rooster, and a flashlight, and a lamb. And he reaches a certain town. So he arrives in Miami, he says, hey, do you have a place for me to sleep? And everybody says, sorry, no place for you to sleep here. Amar, and what does Rebbe Kiva say? Nunu, komai David Rachman Obviously, everything Kodesh Baruch Hu does is for the best. So what do you do when there's no place to sleep in town? Azul bas b'midbara. So he went to sleep in the field, in the wilderness outside of outside of the city. Asa aryeh And a lion came and ate up his donkey. Hate when that happens, but it happens sometimes. So he goes ahead and eats up his donkey. That was his mode of transportation. Uh, he didn't have a uh, uh, he didn't have a Mustang, but he had a mule. <laughs> but that mule was now uh, was now gone. So then he said, everything Hashem does is for the best. And then a cat came along and ate up his rooster, and he said, everything which does is for the best. And then the wind blew and extinguished his lamp. So he's got. No donkey, no rooster, and no lamb. So he's in big trouble. Uh, that's all he had with him. That's all he was traveling with. Fit all of that in his carry-on. And suddenly all of that is now gone. Amr Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says, David, avidin Everything which happens uh, from heaven is for good. Now what happened? That night, some foreigners attacked that city where he was looking for lodging. And they conquered the city. They took over the city and they kidnapped everybody. Amrlu, and then it was at that point that he realized, "Lav Amrlu, call my Shalosh So Rabbi Kiva said to those who are with him, "See, I told you everything that Shalosh Baruch Hu did is for the best. What does that mean?" Upirish Rashi, Elohayad Ner Daluk. 
So Rashi explains that had the lamp still been illuminating, still been producing light, so then the attacking army would have seen him there and they would have known to go ahead and grab him. Vilu haya chamor nowhere otargo kore, and had the donkey still been around or the rooster still been around, so they would have panicked when they heard the soldiers coming, and they also would have made a bunch of noise and would have disclosed where Rebbe Kiva was hiding. So is violent, so then the army would have known to attack him. So now what do we see? So Bikiva with this active belief that there, nothing happens in this world without HaKadosh Baruch Hu's divine providence, and his trust that everything Hashem does is for the best, and whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows to happen to us is out of his love for us in our best interest, Therefore, when nobody in town was willing to give him a place to sleep for the night, so he didn't even get angry at anybody. He didn't say, what are you talking about? I see you've got 16 bedrooms in this house. How could you possibly have filled up 16 bedrooms where you can't give me one place to sleep? But Rabbi Kiva didn't get angry at them. If everybody's saying no, that's what HaKadosh Baruch wants. And he just accepted and they moved on. He didn't get upset. And he believed everything was for his good. And he had the same reaction when the cat and the uh, the uh, the lion attacked his donkey and his uh, rooster. Same thing. Even though each of these individual events are not extraordinary because it happens sometimes that a lion will go ahead and attack a donkey. No, it happens every once in a while, every couple of weeks you hear about it, maybe. And it happens every once in a while that a cat is going to go ahead and uh, escapes out of the house and grabs a rooster nearby. And it's certainly not uncommon for people to lose electricity. Everybody here is in some sort of a storm uh, path, uh, depending on the season of the year, but people lose electricity. So that also happens. So these are nothing about that is unusual. But Rabbi Kiva didn't just say, no, no, these things happen, and I'm just going to call AAA, and they'll come and pick, pick me up. But due to his belief and his trust, he knew that there's no such thing as it just happened. There's no such thing as happening by itself. And he had 100% confidence that this was all designed and planned by God. Now, so this is, that's the Gemara. That's the Gemara in, 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 in the Brachos, which hopefully is somewhat well-known. Now he comes along and he says, The Baal Shem Tov, the starter of the uh, Hasid, the, uh, the father of the Hasidic movement, he came along and he explains, that the Chiddush of this story is, that even though none of these events by themselves are noteworthy or something to write home about. Because these things happen. These are everyday occurrences. You get a flat tire. Nobody writes, writes, I mean, people are annoyed at a flat tire, but it's not something which is like this earth-shattering bitachon moment when a person gets a flat tire. And if a person, uh, the electricity goes out, it's also, it's not an uh, earth-shattering moment that you're seeing any sort of hashgacha. It happens. Sometimes pipes freeze and, uh, you know, you have water, which is, uh, you know, running, running through the house. You know, who hasn't experienced that? Probably those in Florida. 
But he says, but the Amuna in Hashkacha, but somebody who's a Baal takes all of these events, all of these seemingly random and unrelated events, and is able to see how they merge together and they're all part of a single story to bring about a particular outcome. And that's what the, that's the difference between a Baal somebody who has an active and very strong belief and trust in Hashem, Versus somebody who does not have such a an active and strong belief in Hashem, they'll just see each of these events as these annoying uh, events which occur over life. You know, this what this thing broke or that thing broke or I got stuck in traffic over here. There was a huge accident and I didn't make it to the uh, to the interview on time. Whatever it is, we isolate all of those events and see them as separate and standalone events. But the Baal Shem Tov says that. A person who's a Babi Tachon doesn't see them as isolated events, sees them as all part of a single storyline. They're all details in a single story. And he says, um, yeah, and he brings, yeah, we'll read it. He says, Umevi Baal Shem Tov, as Chusli Yagan Elidu, Mashal Etzir of Mikrim. And the Baal Shem Tov brings an example of how uh, a series of events those remember that book series of unfortunate events. But if you if, if you have the uh, a series of events, how you could piece them together in order to create a single picture, rather than looking at them as just different dots on the timeline, different events on the timeline, which are separate and distinct and unconnected to one another. He says, Mashakar Lechan I don't know if it actually did take place or it didn't, but either way, it's a nice story. I mean, it's a, it's a Hashgacha Prati story, so we'll sing Ani Mamin when we're done. So he says, what happened to one of the people was, that the fellow woke up in the middle of the night because he was bit by a mosquito. So one of those annoying mosquitoes in the middle of the night, they get into the house, they're buzzing around in your ear, they bite uh, you know, your cheek or they bite right by your eye, and now you're just scratching, scratching, and you wake yourself up scratching from that mosquito bite. So what did he do? So he was so annoyed, the kafatz mimitaso, he jumps out of bed, and he runs to his front hall. Now as he's running to the front hall, so he tripped over. One of the kids left out a barrel of water. Always happens, always the kids leaving something out in the middle of the night. So they left out a, a bucket of water or something. And he runs into that bucket of water. And what happens? Of course, his mazel is now, not only does he have a, an annoying uh, mosquito bite on his face, but now there's water all over the floor. Nope, it happens that there's water all over the floor. Mayim elu, but it happened to be conveniently enough or fortunate enough, Somebody had left the fire on, somebody had left some coals which were burning, and these this water which spilled ended up extinguishing those coals which were about to ignite the entire house, and that would have put uh, everybody's life in danger. And the coals were about to uh, ignite and uh, turn into a fire. Which would have burned down the entire house. Okay, so now after that, he says, well, Baruch Hashem for that, that uh, we, we avoided that particular uh, uh, potential tragedy of the house burning down. Baruch Hashem, Gamzu I'm so happy with that. Now it's time for me to go back to bed because I'm exhausted because it's three in the morning. And then when he gets back to bed, Matzah, he finds 
that the beam of the, the ceiling beam, which is right above, which used to be right above his bed, fell right onto the mattress where he was sleeping. So now it turns out that it's pretty convenient that he got that annoying mosquito bite that went running out of his room so that he could kill the mosquito because had he not had that not happened, the beam from the ceiling would have fallen on him and would have crushed him. So this fella who is able to now see how this series of events worked out every step along the way, initially it was annoying, annoying, annoying. And then it turned out that everything was good, good, good. Everything worked out for the best. Hamamin Ashalim, who had complete belief, he was able to see all of these seemingly separate and distinct events. How in reality, the entire story was one big manifestation of Ashkacha Pratis. Because now he saw why everything had to happen. He had to be bitten by the mosquito. He had to go running out of the room. He had to step on the bowl of water. And all of that, all of that had to happen in order for everything to work out for the best. The hakol nasa tovaso. And it turns out that all of those annoyances, as he initially perceived them, they all worked out to save him from tragedy and from bad stuff. Lomikrim moded him. And not only was each, in the, each event something which was advantageous for him, but they weren't even isolated events. But it was a chain of events, sequence of events, which of all divine providence, each one had to happen in that particular sequence because it did, had to not happen in that sequence. So then the desired outcome would have, wouldn't have happened. And he says, this is what a Baal Bitochen is going to do, is they're not going to look at that. So what sometimes what happens, I mean, that's, uh, psychologically, that's uh, th- that's what happens. Is that when bad things happens, our our vision narrows, our perspective narrows on things, and we only see the bad event for as a bad event. And really, what we need to do is we need to take back and we need to broaden our perspective. We need to look at that sunset, which is taking place, or sunrise, which is uh, behind Ellen over there, and we need to look at that big picture of things and not isolated, uh, narrow things. We need to look at a big picture of things and see how all of these different events, sometimes over the course of many years, how they could all be tied together as one storyline of Hashkacha Pratis, of divine providence, and Bitachon, and how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is really doing everything for our best interest, and not focus at, at individual steps along the way to see whether or not there's something is, uh, this is something which I'm happy with, or something not. And then he says, very powerful, this is something we've been developing in Shul for the past few years, but he says, the, uh, that's why I was so excited to see this, he says, Yisod he says this idea of the capacity to piece together disparate events, separate events, which seemingly are unrelated to one another, and to see them as part of one big picture in one storyline, just another, each of them is a separate chapter in the book, but ultimately to bring about the, the, uh, the salvation of the Jewish people. So Megillus Esther is what teaches us that. Remember, what we've talked about is the fact that Hashem's name does not appear anywhere in the Megillah. And the story of the Megillah transpires over eight or nine years. We think of it as happening over a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. But the truth is that there's long gaps of time in between different stories in the Megillah. And that's what made it so hard 
as you are living it in real time to be able to connect what's happening today with what happened five years ago and what's going to, obviously you don't know what's going to happen another two years from now and how all of these things were part of one storyline developing and you can't get all excited at any particular step along the way because you don't know the end of the story yet. So if you don't know the end of the story yet, so obviously in the moment, everything sees bad, uh, seems bad. And it seems like there is no positive element to the uh, to the events which which are happening, but that's only because you're still in the middle of the story. Right? You walk out of uh, any movie, uh, you know, 45 minutes into the movie, that's the most tragic time, and that's when everything has already turned bad, and everybody's lives are miserable, and there's no hope, and nobody's expecting that any that in any way that this is going to end up positively. So if you walk out of the movie at that point, so you'll say no movie. Every movie stinks because everybody is uh, in in a rotten circumstance. But we know that there's another 45 minutes to the movie, and we'll see how things will work out for the best ultimately. So he says, and that's what he explains very briefly, but he says, That if you go ahead and you look at the headlines of the newspapers of that, that were issued during the period of time that's contained, that's recorded in the Megillah, so you would see a bunch of headlines which have absolutely nothing to do with one another. Just random stories about random events, and neither one, uh, not one of them, is connected to the next one. So for example, Achashverosh Horeg es Vashti. So Achashverosh kills Vashti. So in the course of world history, how many kings have uh, gotten angry and killed their queens? 432. No, I don't know. But, but many. So there are many times that something like this has happened, that a king has gone ahead and killed his queen. And that in and of itself is not something which is noteworthy. That's something which is uh, just, it's, it's a headline to uh, to uh, to get our uh, attention today. Then, So now, the fact that when the king kills his queen, he's going to find a replacement queen, is that something which is noteworthy? In and of itself, not really. Now, it happened to be, it's unusual that he ended up choosing a Jewish woman that he didn't know was a Jewish woman, and she would end up being the uh, the queen. Okay, that, it, that's certainly an interesting story. And I'm sure 60 Minutes uh, Persia, Persian version went ahead and had a, you know, a, a number of, uh, of episodes where they went ahead and they talked about the, that, uh, that story. Uh, but that is a standalone story by itself, the fact that Esther ended up the queen, Tachajerosh. And then, Uparshas Bigsam Viserish, the fact that there were two Yatzel heads who decided that they wanted to go ahead and they wanted to uh, kill the king because they were unhappy with him. Is that an unusual event in world history? Also not. There are lots of people who tried to rebel against the king, tried to get the king executed and whatnot. So that also is uh, nothing which is noteworthy and nothing which is, uh, which, which is unusual. And then each one of the stories along the way, the fact that a fellow named Haman comes along and wants to exterminate the Jewish people. Sadly, that's also not unusual in the world history that somebody would want to go ahead and do so. So each one of these events in the first five prakim or so are just random events, which are, which are just headlines, which are taken out of this, uh, this period of time. But none of them are connected with the other one. We don't find out that they're connected until we get to the end of the story, when we see that the Jewish people were saved. And then when we see that the Jewish people are saved, and now historians go back and they say, okay, now let's piece together this historical event of the salvation of the Jews from Haman and his crowd who wanted to, uh, the, uh, the, 
the uh, the anti-Semites who wanted to kill the Jewish people, where did the story begin? And those who remember the Gemara and Megillah actually has a debate about where the Iker story, where the primary salvation, which part, which parak represents the beginning of the primary salvation of the Jewish people. We possibly have to read from the beginning, but there are those who say that you don't necessarily have to start from there. But we see now in retrospect how all of these events all contributed to the ultimate salvation of the Jewish people. And if any one of those independent stories or events had not taken place, the Jews, the Jews would not have been saved. So this is something which we see afterwards, but it shall share us shall nifradin. It is a chain of independent stories which ultimately link together in order to lead to the desired outcome. And as we said, it was only at the end of the story, when the Jewish people were saved, did they, did they have the advantage of being able to sit back and review all of the events in some Zoom share on a Tuesday night and say, hey, this was an, an important event in the story unfolding, and this was an important event of the story unfolding, and all of those things. Only then did they piece it all together. How each one of them contributed to the final salvation, which was ultimately to save the Jewish people from destruction. And this is this, this idea of being a Baal Bitachon, of having trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that, that all of the things which happened, although in the moment it may seem, when I have my tunnel vision, it may seem that this is a tragedy and this is something which is bad, but a Baal Bitachon is going to say, I have confidence that for some reason, this is going to be part of a bigger story, which is going to bring about the sal- some sort of salvation or some sort of good outcome. And that becomes our ongoing belief in our, the, the ongoing perspective which we have regarding the events of, of, of our lives. And as he said, being able to draw on this element of bitachon, this element of trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so this is what ultimately sets us up to be able to see the end of the story and to see how all of those previous events actually contributed. And uh, if you remember, maybe at some point we'll do, maybe we'll, we'll even do this next. We'll see. I have to go back and find the, the piece. But the Mechtam um, Elio, Rav Dessler, so he has a, a, a very important piece where he talks about what Olam Haba is going to be like. And he says that, maybe I'll talk about the, maybe I'll, I, I will make this into a drasha this, uh, this week, now that I think about it. But he, uh, Rav, uh, Rav Dessler says that the most important uh, character trait to develop during one's lifetime is the trait of hakarasatov, being able to recognize when somebody else does you a favor being able to see when somebody else does something for you. So that is the most important trait to develop in this world. Why is that the most important trait to develop? What about Torah study? What about tefillah? What about chesed? What about all those different things? So he says, the reason why it's so important is because people have this misconception about what Olam Haba is like. We imagine, if you uh, will allow me for this crude mushal, but we imagine that after a person uh, passed away, after 120, so everybody stands before the basin Hagadol. You stand in front of the basin in Shemaim, where they're going to review all of your mitzvahs, all of your averas, the influence you had on people for good, the influence you had on people for bad. All of those things are going to be cheshben. All of those things are going to be calculated. And then based on that, you're assigned a ticket in the stadium. So now tzaddikim, they have floor seats. So they get to see up close and personal what's going on with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Those who are Rishayim, they find themselves somewhere in the nosebleed seats. 
very far away. You might not even be able to see anything from there. You have to, you know, actually watch with your phone in order to be able to see what's going on. Or you have to, you know, you take out binoculars because you're going to be so far away. And then you have between the floor seats and the nosebleed seats. So you have first level, mezzanine level, second level, all sorts of different levels, whatever is going to be. So people have this mistaken notion that after they after they pass away and they've gone through that judgment in Shemaim, you're given a ticket. And then as a result of that, you are assigned a seat at a certain level, certain location, certain perspective. And now you're that's where you're going to be for the for the rest of eternity. Avdesu says it's not true. Avdesu says that Olam Haba is actually dynamic. And a person could actually, like at the end of, uh, you know, I don't know if they still do it, but like you used to do at the at the Cubs game, that you start off in the second balcony, and then by the third inning, you're in first balcony, and then by the sixth inning, you're already down uh, lower, and you keep moving closer and closer. By the end of the game, you're in box seats. So he says that the same way that the, that Olam Haba is actually dynamic, you can move your seat closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu when you're Olam Haba, but the way that you're going to be able to move closer is do is rooted in the trait of Hakar Satov. Why is it rooted in the trait of Hakar Satov? Because he says, what is everybody going to be watching when they're in this stadium called Olam Haba? What you're going to be watching is, it's going to be the history of the world. There's going to be this endless loop of all of the events which have taken place over the course of world history, which includes all of the events of your life. And as it's played again and again, each time it plays, you should gain greater insight into how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there behind the scenes, directing things and making sure that everything would come out. And each time you watch the film again, you see another kinech or another nuance or another thing which HaKadosh Baruch Hu did. And when you appreciate HaKadosh Baruch Hu more as a result of seeing your life for the 15th time, so then you move closer. So a person who develops Hakara Satov, they'll be more attuned to being able to identify all of those good events which HaKadosh Baruch Hu did behind the scenes, and therefore they'll notice more of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in their life, and that will allow them to move forward in a very significant manner. Somebody who does not have the trait of Akara Satov, they may actually be static. They'll get, they'll sit in their seat, they'll watch the movie taking place in front of them, and it won't move them at all. They won't notice anything, they won't see anything. Hakara Satov is not something that they're going to be able to detect or to discern how HaKadosh Baruch Hu was managing things from behind the scenes, and therefore they're not going to move at all. So he says that that's why Hakara Satov is actually the best trait for a person to be able to, to develop, because that allows them to have a dynamic Olam Haba rather than a static Olam Haba. And ultimately, though, this is uh, all part of this development of the perspective that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us unconditionally, he would not do anything which would be harmful to us. And if we see things which are not working out in our favor, it must be part of a larger picture, a larger picture where ultimately everything is going to work out. And we just don't see the end of the story yet because we are in the middle of the uh, the, the story unfolding. But that's the way the uh, the Sonomer says that we have to deepen and, uh, and develop these traits of emunah, bitachon, belief, and trust HaKash Baruch Hu, that everything is ultimately going to work out in, in our favor. All righty. So this is the end of this uh, this piece. So Mirza Hashem next week.